young people in the EU care about. The youths are the present as well as the future. The climate changes, animal costs, gender prejudice. Opportunities in the future for jobs. Cost of living and migration. New automatization, robotics and everything. Help Ukraine as much as possible. I think they need as much support as they can get, as much money as we can give. Young people that I speak with, they don't really want to hear about politics anymore. We have to focus on the things they have to do with our health. Working possibilities. People don't think everywhere good about the European Union and we have to get better, closer to the people again. If we don't tackle climate change, all the other issues kind of don't matter. What you just heard were the voices of some of the 800 youth participants in the youth village of this year's EPP for Youth event when they were asked what the biggest issues in the EU are for them. They came from Galway to Ghent, from Tallinn to Turin, from Stockholm to Sofia, and everywhere in between. Hi there, and welcome to this EPP Group podcast. My name's Jack Parrick, and I'm going to talk you through what went down at the second annual EPP Group Youth Week. I was also the host of the event in the European Parliament. It was a week that had everything even a marriage proposal. I have a really important announcement to make. Well, I'm not going to make it. Kuldar is going to come down here and he's going to bring Marta as well. That was Estonian Youth Week participant Kuldar proposing to his now fiance Marta in the hemicycle of the European Parliament by asking her in Estonian, would you be my wife? It really was a beautiful moment with a huge outpouring of love for the couple. There was also an amazing point in the Youth Week where we met a very young participant. And you can hear in my voice how cute he was. Oh, oh, this is the bit off. <laughs> Hello. Good afternoon. Um, my name is Katerina and this is Theodor. We are from Czech Republic. He's only four, ye- four months young. She wanted to impress on the room that people younger than 18 should be allowed to vote. I believe we should change it and empower younger than 18 to vote and to be represented in democratic institutions. There was this funny moment when EPP Group Chairman Manfred Weber was giving his response. It is obviously to prepare the ground that next generations can live on this continent. Huh? So the baby is not satisfied, I have to say. So. <laughs> okay. Great moments which will live long in the memories of the people who attended the event. But while there was some great fun, the week was really about getting into serious discussions about the future of the EU and amplifying the voices of young people, especially ahead of the 2024 European elections. The playing of the Ode to Joy, the EU anthem, marked the start of the opening ceremony of the whole event. We then heard from European Parliament President Roberta Metzola, who gave us her own memories of arriving in Brussels in her younger years, before her native Malta had even joined the EU. And all we wanted to do was to be part of the change. We were absolutely clear in our belief that the answer to many global challenges was a stronger Europe, an area where we can all cooperate, all prosper, all be free to live as we choose. 
a safe space in the world where our rights would be fiercely protected, where everyone has access to opportunity and where we can all fulfill our potential. You know, a union born out of despair and war that now gives hope and possibility from this union. That's what it means to be European. Let us not lose sight of that. And we need voices, frankly speaking, your voices, not only ours, to keep that light shining brightly. Later on, President Metzola made this powerful call to the participants. So I would say if you remember one thing to take away from this week, and I saw this program, it, it, it's amazing, and I really congratulate the EPP for having organized it. Do not give in to the temptation of easy cynicism. Find your voice, find your cause, and fight for it. It was also clear how seriously EPP Group Chairman Manfred Weber takes events like the EPP for Youth Week. He spent a lot of time with the participants and gave them a full hour where they could question him on anything. One basic principle to be successful on the long run is to be directly connected with next generation, to be connected with those who have the future in their mind, the future challenges in their mind, also with your way of doing things. Huh? So there we are facing a lot of challenges, and all these challenges, we need your thoughts, we need your ideas. And that's why I want to motivate you, use the next days, exactly for this kind of exchange of views. And we are bridge builders. Sometimes in communication terms, a little bit difficult to sell, because we take farmers serious, but we take also... Um, um, uh, ecological issues serious. So we are breaching things. Huh? That is our DNA. Another part of our DNA is obviously that we are the party of Europe. We also heard from Eva Maidel, Bulgarian MEP and president of the Young Members Group of the EPP, who told the attendees that the week was about hearing what they had to say and not just teaching them about how things work in Brussels. On one hand, when we talk about Europe, we need our rules, we need our procedures, we need our order in order to sustain, to protect, to deliver also as a European Union. But more than ever, we do need the dreamers, the the disruptors, the innovators, people who dare to challenge the status quo, to envision those new possibilities and to strive for Europe that is much more innovative, much more competitive and much more resilient. And that was the call to the young participants. The tagline for the week was Discuss, Debate, Create. Lydia Pereira, the president of the youth wing of the EPP group, wanted those in the room to know they're being listened to. Let's bring the youth out of the advisory councils and let's put them in the heart of decision-making. And that's what you are doing here in this, uh, in this week. And that's what I hope that we can do together in the coming years. So the youth event was focused on a couple of main topics. You actually heard about some of them a bit there in those extracts from the opening ceremony. The four topics were the future of Europe's economy, a Europe that protects, a Europe that creates opportunities and safeguards our environment, and a Europe of solidarity. During our question and answer sessions between the young participants and the EPP group members answering, one recurring theme people were asking about was artificial intelligence and how it's going to affect job prospects for young people. 
We know that Europe's ICT sector struggles to find skilled employees, with 57% of firms in that industry reporting difficulties. And over 70% of companies report a lack of digital skills among workers, which hinders investment and growth, and makes Europe less competitive versus the rest of the world. It was clear that this was an issue for the young people in attendance. Our only hope is the European Union. My question is, how does the U.S. plan to develop economic awareness in the young generation? Education is the only way to avoid the crisis. How to teach youth the economy? Thank you. My name is Dominic and I'm from Czech Republic. And my question is about it that uh, new technologies and not only artificial intelligence uh, will be more and more replaces uh, employees in uh, companies and factories. And if the European Union uh, will be more and uh, thinking about it and prepare new subsidies programs uh, about uh, reskilling and uh, upskilling uh, in a national level or the, about the full European Union. This was the response from EPP MEP Angelika Niebler. Are AI going to replace uh, a lot of jobs? Uh, well, I think that will be the case. Yeah, sorry. The world is changing and we will lose, of course, we will lose jobs. But on the same time, I think new jobs will be created. Yeah? And what is our job actually in politics on all political levels is that we, well, that the skills are going to, 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 to be provided for that, you know, that in the educational system, you know, we are changing how we are learning, how we are teaching. So it's, it's not you you have to change, but it's, you know, I think the the whole educational system has to take care of, you know, allowing for, for learning new skills so that you all, including ourselves, are, are well prepared for all the challenges, for the rapid uh, developments which we realize uh, everywhere. What we have to ensure is that we have a fair level playing field in the European Union. So, and in particular, if you're subsidizing big companies, big enterprises, I think there really the Commission has a very important uh, uh, job so that it's, it's a fair level playing field for all our companies, small and, and larger companies in the European Union. Another question that cropped up time and again was around the recent battles in the European Parliament over some EU climate reduction targets, which the EPP group opposed over concerns it would overburden farmers. Hi, my name is Nina and I'm coming from Slovenia. What are the strategies to help farmers and uh, fishermen to transition. My name is Meryl, I'm also from the Netherlands and the past few months there have been a massive debate between agriculture and safeguarding our environment. Uh, riots have been there, protests. So there is a huge debate sparked because in the Netherlands there is that the EU is to blame for farmers not having a future. So my question is more um, a general one, general one maybe, like how do we do we choose between, hey, our citizens and what they are feeling and responding to that and also staying behind our EU policy? So how is that debate also for you? MEP Zaliana Zovko had some pretty strong feelings about this issue. EPP is a party that uh, takes care of farmers and also citizens. In, uh, uh, so we, we are trying to save uh, our nature, but also to save farms and to save and not to go to unrealistic goals to return the farmland into 1950 because the, or to reinvent the wheel or, or just to forget that we uh, invented the wheel. So all the policies that were trying to be imposed by the part of these Greens uh, ideologies here and that uh, were not being 
being able to be questioned has backlashed on us as well as a party. And we, uh, we are the ones who are going to our constituency, who are talking to our people, to, who are talking to our farmers, who are going to the islands, talking to our fishermen. And we said, stop. This is something that has to be changed. And the whole narrative, EPP is now going to change the whole narrative about this issue. Because food security is, uh, is, is, is about first uh, providing security for our farmers and for our fishermen and for all of those. Um, I mean, I did this report on New Bauhaus. In order to have healthy and safe and beautiful environment, we have to take uh, the food from the uh, five kilometers around our area. Where are you going to get this food if you, are going, if you are going to destroy our farms and if you are going to turn all the farms into just forests and uh, woods? EU Commissioner Dubravka Suica was also in the European Parliament during these discussions and she picked up on the question of EU policies going down badly in EU member states, which was actually raised in other contexts than just the climate laws. There was a question, how do you choose between citizens and policies? We don't, we don't choose between citizens and policies, but we create these policies for citizens. And this is something which should always be taken into consideration. So I don't think there, is strong debate, there are strong debates, and you mentioned Netherlands. There are strong feelings of citizens, but I think uh, it's not European Union who has to be blamed for these policies. It's about particular politicians who don't follow the rules, who don't balance, who don't uh, understand citizens' uh, uh, wishes. So I think uh, listening to citizens is uh, more important than ever. Policy around climate change is complex and becoming controversial. But for young people like Ivana from Sweden, it's the top issue they're concerned about. This is what she had to say when we spoke to her after one of the debates. Climate change is real, it's happening, and if we don't stop it now, then it will be an ex- extremely much uh, difficult uh, situation uh, in just a few coming years. Uh, the EU can do so much to fight climate change. We have the biggest free market in all of the world together, and by taking responsibility for uh, the trade and taking responsibility uh, through taxation and the uh, emission plans, uh, we can really fight uh, the carbon uh, dioxide. Because we can already see the effects of climate change. We can see the effects of the polar ices being, m- being melting, uh, as well as you know, the extreme heat throughout Europe this summer. We saw huge fires in Italy and Greece. I come from Sweden and uh, from the second largest city, Gothenburg, and we have a huge port, and we can tell that when the sea levels will be rising, we have to rethink our port. Uh, and it's one of Europe's largest, so it will affect all of Scandinavia, basically. And Sabrina from France, who also spoke to us on that day, said she does what she can to bring down her own carbon footprint. I believe one of the first things that the EU can do is make renewable and green energies more affordable for the most people, especially the working classes, because those are the people who will be affected by the climate change and we need to make sure that they're comfortable in the years coming ahead. Probably we need funds, we need problems, we need to rearrange the way our society is working so that we can assure a comfortable and smooth transition for those people because those are the ones who will be affected by those changes in the first place. They will feel it the way that they need to change 
what type of cars they use, what type of transports they use, meaning to make sure that it goes smoothly and that they don't have to ruin themselves in order to be greener and to help the environment. I don't really use a lot of energy. I try to use uh, transports as much as possible and I walk. Brussels is a small city so it helps a lot. And uh, basically I try to do the best, the, the best that I can with what I got. If you want to, there's definitely a way you can make a change and an impact. Yeah. The subtext to a lot of the discussions on other policy issues is often the economy and jobs. Time and again, we heard from the youth delegates about pressures on the industry they or their family work in and their fears about jobs in the future. Irish MEP Francis Fitzgerald told The Room that the EU's single market is its biggest strength. What we need to do in Europe is to make sure we have the conditions that will help businesses to grow, that will help economies uh, to grow. Uh, We want to make sure we have the policies that support small business because we know that that's where the majority of jobs come from in our member states. So we have the great advantage in Europe and we haven't taken full advantage of it yet, that is the single market. Our strength is the single market. One market without barriers covering 450 million people. How extraordinary is that? And how can each of us and each of our member states make sure that our businesses export to those countries and to that single market? How do we give them the resources, because small businesses are strapped for resources, to make sure they're able to make the most of the opportunities throughout that single market? And it's still not complete when it comes to services like insurance, like mortgages. So work to do. So we're also in a tricky geopolitical situation. I'll just say a few words about it. We see the US looking inward. We see China becoming very, very uh, strong and trying to expand its influence. And of course, here in Europe, how do we position geopolitically? How do we strengthen ourselves? That's the big task that we have now. How do we make sure we remain competitive? And what we saw during COVID, of course, is that there are many raw materials we don't have access to. How are we going to deal with that? How do we become, you know, genuinely able to manage all of the raw materials that we need and have the right trade agreements, the uh, the right trade relationships? And of course, we're seeing more demands being made on our trade agreements as well. Now, it's absolutely impossible to speak about anything that's happening in the European Union at the moment without considering Russia's war against Ukraine. Both the circumstances on the ground and what it means for the EU. During the discussions on our panel about a Europe that protects, that was a key and fundamental issue. European Commission Vice President Margarita Skinas was keen to express how important the EU's support has been for Ukraine. Part of the fact that they keep fighting proudly, standing on their feet, is because the European Union, from the very first week of the war, has been financing the Ukrainian state with 2 billion euros per month. May I repeat? 2 billion euros per month. Ukraine keeps fighting and keeps winning because Europe keeps paying. This is a message I want you to take back. It's a message that is not often told 
Of course, our Western allies are helping us and helping Ukraine with uh, weapons, with other systems, but we're there as well. There were a couple of comments from our youth participants who voiced concern about the cost of the war for EU taxpayers. Take a listen to one of them and how Vice President Skinas responded. Hi, I'm Jan from Germany and I've got a question about the financing as well. Um, about 23% of people living in Europe don't support um, the financing of the European Union, of the Ukraine war. What would you say to those kind of people that it's necessary? I, I, I would tell them that... Uh... If we don't do that now, the price would be higher later. If we do not show the aggressor that we are a union that can stand firmly on the side of democracy, if we don't defend our way of life, if we don't fight and stand support uh, the territorial integrity of a neighbor, a partner, and a future member, then we open the gate to all sorts of nightmare scenario that can happen tomorrow in other parts of our territory, in Central and Eastern Europe, in the Baltics, in Southeastern Europe, in Cyprus. Why? Because we are fighting a war together with the Ukrainians because this is also part, we are part of this war. We are fighting with the Ukrainians because we fight for the same cause, for the, for, for, for the kind of society that we represent. The topic of migration also came up during many of the discussions during Youth Week. And there was a fair amount of concern about the deals the EU has been signing with countries outside of Europe, where the EU exchanges money in order for the governments to crack down on smugglers whose boats leave North African shores, bringing people to Europe. Here's what Dutch youth delegate Dorothy had to say. When we're talking about a Europe that protects, uh, and I hear the story about Ukraine, I'm very proud. Uh, but when I hear about the deals with Libya, with Tunisia, uh, we hear a lot of stories about European values that are being neglected or um, damaged very much. So um, how is Europe making sure that not only on the Ukrainian side, but also on the other external borders of Europe um, that the European values are being held high. Michael Gala is the EPP coordinator on foreign affairs and parliament rapporteur on Ukraine and on Tunisia. He was on hand to reply to that and broadly agreed that the EU should have done better in its dealings with Tunisia. We should have conditioned our support and saying, OK, we are aware you need more money for the economy and for social purposes, but you return to the constitutional order. We have not done it. We have let it had this president do things and continued business as usual until he has ruined the country another two years. And now, as the Tunisians even are entering the boats, now we have taken action and, and had to engage with this guy who, uh, uh, who, who is part of the problem. And I'm pretty sure unless there is a, and we should now condition our support, well, we, one condition is that they conclude something with the International Monetary Fund, good, but we should also say we condition it that you release the political prisoners. He has, they have taken uh, uh, parliamentarians, uh, including party chairs, as, as uh, imprisoned, and a national dialogue. We have demanded it two years ago, we have not pushed on it, and that is, I think, where we should become better, also southwards, and, uh, and supporting Ukra um, the, the Tunisians, because they also want 
to live in better circumstances. 11% was the turnout in their parliamentary election after this president had uh, instated something uh, without parties and, uh, and uh, enforced an election. 11% turnout. That is what the Tunisians say. We shouldn't simply do business as usual and think we find a solution unless we also not only insist on cooperation on migration, but also on re-establishment of democracy in a country like Tunisia. In that discussion, there was significant talk of European solidarity. And that was also one of the main themes of Youth Week. But I was pondering about what solidarity actually means. I asked MEP Paolo Rangel to explain for him. What does European solidarity mean for you? I have to say that we could, with these words, speak about each dimension of European Union and of European history in a certain way. So we could say to start that European Union as such, when it was created in 1953 and 57, it is an act of solidarity because countries that were always at war, and especially that in the latest uh, uh, 100, 150 years, were in very, very terrible wars, they decided to put aside their differences and to create first an economic community and then to bring this economic experience to a, a, a political uh, union. One of the points raised from the participants was about breaches of EU law in some member states. Here's what Oliver from Germany asked Paolo Rangel. Talking about solidarity, how do countries like Poland and Hungary, which more increasingly seem to not share the values of the European Union, fit into the EU? I think that we have to say that we cannot say Hungary and Poland as such. One thing is the Polish and Hungarian government, another thing is the member state. Uh, and so this is a different. Uh, you have to differ population uh, and uh, a nation and a country. But it's true that the political developments, institutional developments, both in Hungary and Poland, are very concerning. In Hungary, really extremely concerning, I have to say, because we see that uh, there is deterioration of the rule of law. So. European Union is based is a, a club of democracies that are liberal democracies. That means decisions are taken by majority, but under certain principles and rules. That means we have to respect separation of powers, independence of judiciary, and human rights, fundamental rights. So here I think that we could have done more, but it's true that we have instruments to deal with this kind of very, very serious and grave breaches. What you've heard here are just some snippets of the debates we had. I was there throughout all of them, and there was an impressive amount of knowledge and understanding of the current issues the EU is facing. And it meant the panellists, EU commissioners, vice presidents and members of parliament, they all had to get fully stuck in and talk seriously and openly and express their views. The truth is that proper youth engagement is about talking on a level about issues affecting young people. Now, 
Now, outside of the intense political discussions in the European Parliament, the EPP for Youth Week also gave the participants the chance to get their hands stuck right in through a series of tasks. They were split up into working groups to design, produce and pitch a social media campaign for the EPP group. They all came back into the hemicycle of the European Parliament on the final day to hear eight refined pitches and to vote on their favourite. And take a listen to this. This was the final vote once we'd got the teams down to a top three. Let's open the vote. The vote is open. So remember, you're voting in favour of the team that you want to win. Let's close the vote. The vote is closed. Yeah, a bit of a drum roll, bit of tension. Fingers on the desk. Okay. <laughs> Third place was cybersecurity with 49 votes. Second place was your welcome with 107 votes. And a very clear winner of 191 votes was the Farmers for Future. So, yeah. So let's take a listen now to a short part of the impassioned speech from the group called ReFarm, who were calling for additional financial support for young farmers in the EU. Susanna Brookhuizen from the Netherlands delivered the team's final pitch attempt to swing the vote. You might need a doctor in your life. You might need a teacher in your life. But you need a farmer three times every day. You could hear that the room absolutely erupted when they won. There were some other very powerful pitches from the other teams, well thought out and clearly presented. But the farming team had hit the right chord with the crowd. This is an issue which was brought up time and again during the week, and it tipped the vote in their favour. Let's quickly take a listen to what MEP Lydia Pereira, the president of the youth wing of the EPP group, had to say about the farming pitch, and from young MEP Maria Walsh as well. They both attended the pitching and voting sessions and gave their impressions. Well, it's uh, great to, to have this inspiring approach towards uh, farming. Uh, I agree with what you guys say, it's sometimes a bit of a neglected activity in our uh, economies and so important because if it was not because of the farmers, we would not have food in our tables. Innovation and technology will be key in the food sector and in particular in agriculture. So congratulations. Thank you, thank you very, very much. Um, and on a personal note, just delighted to see a Highland cow in your social media campaign as an owner of Highland cows. I just felt spoken to there. Um, uh, just really, really want to add to Lydia's point. Um, I mean, each of you really compelled a, a fantastic story and looking beyond the lens to try and get out to, on, to, to teach people. And to the previous presentation, it's just, and the one before, the misinformation, the disinformation and the engagement is most important. You know, farming is, like politics, so personal. Um, and to break down the food we have on the table comes from somewhere, not just the, the grocery store. Um, uh, and I have to, I have to really compel. I think it's great um, to Lydia's point. The innovation piece is really important, and ultimately, how do we um, sell? Dare I say, the policies that we have here to protect farmers, and ultimately hear farmers' voices through that. But thank you very, very much. A huge congratulations to the Refarm team, who will now work with the EPP's social media team on a campaign about protecting farmers in the EU. 
This edition of the EPP for Youth Week was the last time the event will happen before the June 2024 European Parliament elections, with under-18s able to vote in some countries for the first time. In Austria, Belgium, Germany and Malta, 16-year-olds will be able to vote, and in Greece, 17-year-olds. EPP Group Chairman Manfred Weber and European Parliament President Roberta Metzola were both keen to impress how important the upcoming elections are. You are sitting in, in seats where members of the European Parliament sit. Each of your seats with the number. Look at them up. See which member sits on your seat. And remember that whether you vote or not, somebody's going to be sitting on that seat. You might not like what you see. My question to you is, what is now your idea for the next historic step for Europe? Where is Europe 2030, 2040, 2050? What do we expect then as our European Union? As you've heard in this podcast, there's so much for young people to be thinking about as we head into those elections. Another successful and exciting Youth Week. But don't take my word for it. Take a listen to what those who attended had to say about the week as we came to the end. I really um, enjoyed the event. I'm exhausted. <laughs> it's been wonderful. I enjoyed it extremely. I really enjoyed the event. I would recommend because you learn a lot of people, you learn a lot about the EPP, how it works from inside. It feels a little bit surreal um, for me, but uh, I'm happy to be here. I'm excited to make it better. In fact, I, I'm already speaking with my colleagues about feedback, how we can help maybe organization next year. You get like one-time opportunities to meet like high politicians from Europe. It's definitely a success. great week. Thanks to everyone who attended and participated. And don't forget to follow the EPP group across all social media channels where you can also give the group your feedback. And from me, Jack Parrock, thanks so much for listening to this podcast. Goodbye.